0: You are listening to the CMC podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from our guest speaker. If I don't know you, my name is Chloe Davis, like Josh said earlier. And tonight, The Lord has laid a word on my heart to talk to us about how we are citizens of heaven. And so tonight, I want to address this from two different perspectives. First, understanding that... We are citizens of heaven by how he ministers to us and how we minister to him. So this, this vertical relationship that we have with Abba, but then also how, from the perspective of how we are then citizens of heaven dependent upon how we interact with the people around us. And so how do we interact with God as citizens of heaven? And then how do we interact with the people around us as citizens of heaven? And tonight, as I've been praying about this message, the lord also spoke to me and told me that he also wanted me to testify some revelation 19 says the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy basically meaning that if something has happened in my life or it's happened in your life or any of our lives because we are children of god the testimony that speaks of jesus is the spirit of prophecy so when you testify when i testify someone can take that and say that is prophetic over my life and so we're going to be looking in the Word of God, but also I'm going to be sharing testimony with you about how Jesus has worked in my life through this ministry and how I've been sent out to my college campus to do what God has called me to do there. So if you would, please turn to John chapter 4 with me. John chapter 4 is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman and how he, he meets with this woman. And so we're going to start in John chapter four, verse five. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sicar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So this woman is at the well around noontime in the heat of the day alone because if she were to come at any other time of the day, there would likely be other people there. Jesus is also alone when, when he meets the woman at the well because he has sent his disciples to go and get food. And so in this, we see that our God is intentional about meeting people where they're at. And so we understand that he is intentional intentional about meeting us where we're at, but also from Jesus and from the way that he lives his life and from the way that that God speaks throughout, throughout all of Scripture, we see that we are called to be intentional about meeting other people where they're at. Actually, in Genesis 16, there's a woman named Hagar, and she's being mistreated, and so she runs out into the wilderness and the lord sends an angel to meet with her and to have a conversation with her and after she has this conversation with the angel of the lord she says it says the word of god says that she refers to the lord with another name you are the god who sees me and so this woman and also the samaritan woman understand that they they're meeting alone that god is one that sees them and so god sees us but also we are called to see other people in the same way that he has seen us when I think about my life and I think about the way in which God has seen me, I think about how God saw a girl at Jesseville High School 10 minutes down the road and he saw that she was broken and that she was struggling. And there was a lot going on in her life and he had someone invite her to youth group here. And God began to change her life because he saw her and he wanted her to know that she was seen. So I understand how God is seeing me, and as I go out on my college campus, I want to have eyes that also see others. I want to see other people through the eyes of God. And just testimony from this last semester of college, I was just walking on campus, and I want to tell you the story of a girl named Abby and how I met Abby. I was walking just along the sidewalk of my college campus, and Abby was sitting alone at a table, and she was on the phone, and the Lord highlighted her to me. And I just did a double take and I kept walking. Well, a few hours later, I see Abby on the opposite side of campus and she's again alone at a table. And I passed her again. I'm with a friend and we're going to lunch. And I was like, oh no, I know that I'm supposed to go speak to this girl. But I passed her again. Thank God for his grace. And I finished lunch with this woman and we are walking. Back to the other side of campus, and she's at another table, alone again, and we pass her, and I looked at my friend, and I said, I said, hold on, I said, I have to go talk to this girl. I said, I just feel like the Lord wants me to ask her how she's doing, and so as I, I turn around, and as I start to approach her, I kind of wave to let her know that I'm that I'm about to come sit with her, and I just asked her, how are you doing, and we start talking, and, and I just said, I felt like I was just supposed to come speak with you. Well, towards the end of that conversation, she was like, thanks for coming to talk to me and we exchanged phone numbers. Well, the next week I went to the same place, at the same time on the same day and I met with her again. And she asked me during that conversation, she said, why did you come and sit down with me? I said, well, I love Jesus. And I said, I believe the Holy Spirit compelled me to come and talk to you and just to have a conversation with you. And she looks at me and she says, I know why. And she begins to pour her heart out and all of these things that she had been walking through, and all of these different ways that she had been struggling. And there in that moment, I said, God sees me. And I remember the moments in which I felt so deeply that God had seen me. But now God just used me to show another woman that God sees her. We're going to continue on in our story. Verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So the Samaritans were people that were hated by the Jews. Only partly, there's a lot that goes on here. You can read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. (laughs) There's a lot that goes on here, but partly because they were descendants of the Israelites that had intermarried with foreign settlers that were pagans and therefore by marriage they gave themselves to foreign gods. So here the woman is telling Jesus our people are supposed to hate each other and not even associate with one another, but it is the love of Jesus that compels him to have a conversation with her. And in that same way that Jesus has a conversation with her, the love of Jesus should compel us to have conversations with people that we wouldn't normally associate with, but that's only because we have encountered the love of Jesus and he associates us, he associates with us as the bridegroom so he associates himself with us as the bridegroom and if you understand anything about the bridegroom and the bride of christ and how jesus talks about this throughout scripture this is the most intimate level of unity that there can be as he talks about it in in reference to marriage the bride and the bridegroom and so he unifies himself with us he makes himself one with us under covenant and he has called us to be able to associate with people that maybe we wouldn't necessarily confront or, or talk to you or, you know, minister to you, uh, because he has done that in our lives. Continuing on in verse 10, it says, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So... In this, in this part of scripture, we see that this woman is asking a lot of questions. You know, anything that Jesus says, she's asking a questions. she's, she's kind of becoming a little bit religious and defensive with, with what is taking place in this conversation. But Jesus continually responds in kindness to her, even as she's defensive, defensive and keeps her walls up until he touches a place in her heart that she cannot ignore, which we're going to see in just a moment. So I wanna ask you today, do you remember how Jesus kept pursuing you when you wanted little to do with him? Or do you remember when Jesus kept pursuing you and you had no idea of what he was doing in your life in the spiritual realm? Do you remember and do you you take into account the way in which he he has kept going after you and the way in which he has poured out his love and his grace upon you? That's what's happening here. So in verse 15, she says, Please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And that was the place that Jesus touched her heart. Because she's asking these questions, she's being defensive, and then he says, giving them eternal life, and she says, Wait, I want whatever this is. And so he continued having this conversation with her until he touched that place where the walls fell down. So whenever she says... I'll never be thirsty again and i won't have to come here to get water it may look like laziness to us on her part but (laughs) she doesn't have perception of eternal life at this point and she literally thinks that he's talking about water you know she's she's there and he's sharing with her about water and this living water and eternal life and she is over the head like she she doesn't she doesn't understand that she thinks he's talking about she's never going to be thirsty again and she'll never have to come to the well again And so really, we have to ask ourselves when looking at the story, why did she not want to go to the well to get water? Why was she so concerned about not—why was she so excited about not having to go to the well ever again? Um, Because she was alone in the heat of the day when she went to get water. And why—think about this logically—why would anyone go to the well in the heat of the day, and why would they choose to go alone? Would this not be a a more exciting task if you went with a friend, or if you went with someone that you knew, or if you didn't go in the heat of the day when it's noontime, the sun is beating down on you? And I think about, I think back to a time in my life when I would have done anything to avoid people. Uh, I was hurting and didn't want anyone to see the level of pain that I was living in, and because of that, being around people made me anxious. Hurting people choose to go alone in the most inconvenient of times. Um, they're, going to, they're going to enter a place in isolation. Even if they enter a room with people, they're going to try to cut everyone out. They're going to try to push everyone away. And they're going to go in the most inconvenient of times. So that way they can be as alone as possible. I remember um, the first time I entered youth group. And we were in the gym at the time. And I uh, had a young woman come up and hug me. And it, I was like, what? personal space. But, and I was also, I was, you know, that was strange to me. I wasn't, I wasn't accustomed to that, but then I came back the next week and I was hugged again. Then I came back the next week and I was hugged again, and then I came back the next week and I was hugged again, and I came back the next week and I was hugged again, and I realized these people see me. They see me, Um, And they they see, and I, you know, I, I had the walls up. I was trying to block everyone out, but there were people that would speak into my life and that would pull things out of me that I maybe necessarily didn't want to share, but it would end up being shared because that's what God wanted to happen. Continuing on in verses 16 through 18, Jesus tells her, go and get your husband And the woman replies, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You have certainly spoken the truth. So during this time period and place, women were essentially property and could not initiate divorce except in extreme circumstances. So if this woman has had five husbands, she has either been rejected by five men or she has lost five men to death. So she's either been through extreme rejection or extreme loss, and that's what's taking place here when you look at the historical context of this passage. And so Jesus responds and is preparing to present himself to her as the Lord did to unfaithful Israel in Hosea 2. And you don't have to turn there with me, but I'm gonna be reading Hosea 2, uh, verses 14 through 20. And the Lord says, but then I will win her back once again, speaking of unfaithful Israel. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. So in, in that, in Hosea 2 we see God's heart that says, I'm going to once again unite myself with Israel and they are going to know me as the Lord. They are, rather than knowing me as their master, they're going to know me as their husband. And in this passage, in John 4, we see Jesus have this heart that says, I am the one you've been looking for. You've been rejected by five men or they've died. We don't know based, based on what we have in scripture. But regardless of what it is, he says, I am the one you've been looking for. And this is an eternal covenant. This is is not going to lead to rejection. This is not going to lead to loss. This is a covenant that I am stepping in with you that will be eternal. As the Samaritans were those that had intermarried with pagans and worshiped foreign gods, Jesus wanted to to first reveal his identity to this woman. This was the first woman that Jesus revealed his identity to in scripture, who had been under covenant with five other men And tell her that she would be entering an eternal covenant with him. And she would know Jesus not only as her husband, but as the Lord. Picking up in verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus then told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to meet him. After Jesus loved her and spoke into the place in which she had either been rejected or experienced extreme loss, the place that hurt her most She had to tell everyone. And this was a normal and sane and sane response to his love. This is what God did for me during the year that I went to youth group here. He touched so many places of my heart that were hurting. And the beauty of doing life with Jesus is that he continually touches the places of our hearts that store pain and loss and rejection and greed and unforgiveness and jealousy and whatever it may be, put a label on it. He continually wants to touch those places of our hearts. He loves to enter and speak into the places of our hearts that have caused us to become lukewarm. In Revelation 3, there is a message from Jesus to a church that is neither hot nor cold, but has become like lukewarm water. In this message, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. And so often this verse is referred to in regard to salvation and allowing the Lord to enter into our hearts upon salvation in and, and, In entering covenant relationship with him but this message in its in its biblical text is referencing a church it's referencing a church it was not to unbelievers that didn't know him and it can apply to salvation but I think even more so if you look at it where it's at he's saying this to a church that had let their passion grow cold because they had blocked him out of their hearts and the thing is, whenever one area of our hearts becomes lukewarm, whenever one area of our hearts becomes kind of cold and bitter, it's going to infect the rest of our hearts. And so we have to continually allow the presence of God to enter into the places that hurt, the places where it just doesn't look like Jesus. And so we have to take note of those things and allow him to enter in. Continuing in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. They literally never know what's going on. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. So first we see that Jesus found that ministering to this woman's heart and allowing his father to use him fulfilled him in a way that physically satisfied his needs. And so when we look at the Great Commission and it says, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, teaching them to do all that I've, ob- all that I've commanded you to do, we understand that as more than just a command dependent upon this scripture, it's a way of life that's fulfilling. When God created us, he knew it would satisfy us. He knew it would fulfill the depths of our hearts. And so to minister to the people around us as he ministers to us, that's fulfilling. That's what he's created us to do. And that's that's consistent from the garden. Jesus, or not Jesus, but the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply, you know? So this has been consistent throughout the meta-narrative of scripture. Meta-narrative of scripture basically meaning that it's consistent throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And then we see Jesus explain the, the harvest and, and what, this, what this means to him. And we must be people that see the spiritual harvest in front of us. Whether it be on the college campus, our workplaces, the restaurant we go to after church on Sunday, the store that we buy our groceries from, the high school that we go to, wherever we go, we are citizens of heaven that both plant seeds and harvest the field that God has placed us in. You're in a place that is ready for harvest. And you can, only, you can only be a person that plants seeds and harvests, harvests what has been planted before you as people indeed have gone before you by allowing him to minister to you so you, then, you can then minister to others. Continuing on, in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. In Revelation twelve eleven, it says, The enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And she speaks about her encounter with Jesus a deep desire of my heart is that testimony is always on my tongue, to speak of who He is, how He moves, what He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. And so, whenever I, whenever I disciple disciple girls on my college campus, there's, a, I meet with them weekly. So there's about seven or eight of them right now, and I meet with them weekly. And I ask them the question every time I, every time I meet with them, I say, "What is the Lord teaching you?" And this is something that a, that a, that another woman invested in me, and she she taught me this. And I ask them, what is the Lord teaching you? Because at the end of every day, it is my heart's desire to ask the Lord, what did you teach me today? Because I want to keep testimony on my tongue. Whenever, whenever someone comes up to me and they ask me, what is the Lord teaching you? Or they begin speaking of the Lord. I want to have, have something prepared. Something deeply placed in my heart that says, this is what the Lord has done. This is what he's doing. and This is what he will do. Testimony is so important. Because the blood of the Lamb has already been shed. And he waits on us. He waits on us to share our testimony. And testimony not having to be this big, long, drawn-out thing of what your whole life looks like. Testimony being, what did he teach me today? You know, what what has he walked me through today? What has he healed in my heart today? What is he doing in my life? Testimony—it's simple. So then the people say to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So her testimony led them to the feet of Jesus, and now they have an encounter with Jesus because she first spoke up. Because she said, here's a man that told me everything I ever did. And he ministered to the places of my heart. And now you must know this Jesus that I know. Could he be the Messiah? And catch this. She didn't say, come see the Messiah. She said, could he be the Messiah? She said, I'm going to leave that choice to you. You come if you want. You come if you want. You evaluate. You discern who you think that he is. He will reveal himself to you as Abba. The woman's boldness in speaking about her encounter with Jesus led people to him, but this only happened because he first loved her in the place of her heart that hurt her the most. He spoke to that deep place of her heart, and she said, I have to tell everyone, and that's normal. That is normal. So, to walk faithfully as citizens of heaven that remain passionate for God, we must ask ourselves two things often— we must first ask ourselves, what are the places of my heart that hurt? And are there areas that I haven't allowed him to touch? And so it can be a place of hurt, but it can also be a place of unforgiveness, bitterness, greed, jealousy, whatever it may be. He needs to be touching those places. Otherwise, we're going to grow lukewarm. And one area of lukewarmness in your heart is going to is going to infect the rest of it. The second question is, What places has he already touched? And do I believe in the power of testifying who he is through what he's done in my life? Do I believe in the power of testifying who he is through what he's done in my life? I have one more little story to share with you. About a week after I graduated high school, found myself on a college campus for an academic registration type thing, and it was an overnight stay. And I don't even remember how this happened or how the conversation came about, but I found myself sitting in the lobby of a dorm building with uh, an atheist on one side and an agnostic on other self-claimed atheist and agnostic, and we were talking about Jesus. <laughs> and I, don't, I could not tell you how that happened or why it happened or how it, how it got brought up, but I just started sharing with them the things that God had been doing in my life and the areas of my heart that he had touched deeply. And it was it was really late. It had to be like 1 or 2 a.m. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, I am so tired. And he said, this conversation is important. He said, stay where you're at. <laughs> and I eventually we talked about something else. I don't even remember how it, how it ended, how the conversation ended. But I do remember the moment in which I had finished sharing my testimony and one of the people that I was sitting with looks at me and she says, I wish something like that could happen to me. And I said, oh, it can. And I don't remember anything else from that conversation, but I do remember sharing parts of my heart in what the Lord was doing, what he had already done. And she looked at me and she said, I wish that could happen to me and it can. And it can. And we carry the answer that our world needs. We carry the hope that our world needs. And I ask continuously, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And so if you would stand with me, I want to I pray. I want to pray that over us tonight. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are so good, Abba. We thank you, God, that you ministered the depths, the broken places of our heart. God, that you expose everything in our heart that is not of you, that you love us, and you are pulling us into you, Lord. God, I thank you that you see us, that you are near to us and close to us, and that you're always going to come to meet us wherever we're at. God, I thank you that you've given us the call and the commission to meet other people where they're at, that God, we would see them. God, give us eyes for the people around us um, to see see through your eyes, Jesus. We don't wanna pass anyone. We don't wanna overlook anyone. God, whether it be the cashier in Walmart or whether it be the the drive-through person at, at McDonald's, God, give us eyes to see them. Give us the heart to love them. Holy Spirit, we invite you into the depths of our hearts. Right now, Lord, I ask that you would reveal places of our hearts in which we have not let you in. The places in which you stand and you knock. The places that have grown lukewarm, Jesus, would you awaken them again? God, we pray for revival, but God, revival can't take place in this church, in this city, in this state, in this nation until it takes place in us. So, Father, we ask, would you let revival happen in our hearts tonight, Jesus? that this would be a burning, a burning desire as we step into 2022, that you would continually awaken and revive the places of our hearts that do not look exactly like you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you have given us your word that proclaims of who you are. God, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you for what you will do, and we thank you that we can testify, Lord, that you have given us so many things to speak about with other people, but that you've, you've ministered to the depths of those places of our hearts, and we get to speak about that with whoever we come into contact with. God, give us boldness and give us courage to be the people that you've called us to be, Lord. God, we thank you for who you are, and we are, we are so expectant. To see harvest wherever we enter, because we are citizens of heaven that live in a in an assurance that that is who you say that we are and that is the calling that we have on our lives to be ministers and missionaries everywhere that we go. God, I thank you that it's not a call that is the five-fold ministry, but it is a call that is you are a child of God. So Lord, I thank you that you send us out. God, I thank you for this church that is a mission base, that sends people out throughout the week, that says, Jesseville, Hot Springs, Hot Springs Village, Lord, have your way over these places. God, I thank you that you would use us. God, we, we bow in humility to be used by you, Abba. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you just for the, the sweet sacrifice that you made so we can have communion with you, and we can then share you with other people. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. We just thank you for tonight. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, family. We'll see you on Sunday. Have a great week. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.